Welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life and what next steps will you take to get there. I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 45. Stop what you're doing right now and make sure that you are subscribing and following this podcast. And as you're listening to the podcast, think about who else needs to hear this message because it is a good one. Our guest today is Jessica Willis-Fisher. Now, many of you already know Jessica and her story, part of her story. You know her music, you know her voice, you know her family. But there may be a few of you who are meeting Jessica for the first time today. So let me introduce her to all of you. She is an Americana singer and songwriter who released her memoir, Unspeakable, Surviving My Childhood and Finding My Voice. And she grew up the eldest daughter in a large, highly controlled, fundamentalist Christian household. Jessica was groomed to perform and to conform to her father's disturbing and chaotic teachings and to survive his abuse. Now, in her family's band, the Willis Clan, Jessica was the lead singer, fiddle player, principal songwriter, and the eldest of 12 children. And her family became famous after an appearance on NBC's America's Got Talent. And then soon after, they had their very own reality show on TLC called The Willis Family. Now, the world fell in love with this beautiful family of kids, young, vivacious, and the Willises presented themselves to be extraordinary and happy. But the older and wiser Jessica got, the more that she had to face that what was going on behind closed doors would forever be escalating. So her memoir, Unspeakable, it is haunting. It is a coming-of-age memoir. It captures the beauty and the ugliness of a young woman finding her way. It's filled with longing and fear and confusion and secrecy. I mean, you can imagine. Maybe you can't. But most importantly, hope for the future. Now, I admire what Jessica has done. I mean, now with this second chance, she's established the Brand New Day Fund to support a variety of organizations to help with the prevention of childhood sexual abuse and domestic violence. And speaking of second chances, Jessica now has a critically acclaimed debut solo album called Brand New Day. It is remarkable. Ten original songs, eight of which she wrote entirely on her own. We also talk about her brand new two holiday songs for this year. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin the surprise, but she chose well. You know, I admire Jessica so much for her courage and her bravery, uh, but also being so authentic and vulnerable, not only in this interview, but also in her memoir. She's grateful for her second chance. And Jessica wants her story to help others, and man, is she ever doing that. So now, let's not wait any longer. She's here. Welcome to episode 45. Here, everyone, is Jessica Willis-Fisher. Jessica, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. It is really good having you here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for reaching out and wanting to have a conversation. So Jessica, many people know of you, know of your story. You heard my introduction of you. <laughs> and first off, I have to say your brand new memoir, Unspeakable, Surviving My Childhood and Finding My Voice. Congratulations on your memoir. Thank you. This is very new for me. I, um, the, book, the book came out on November 1st. And, you know, everything that I had done previous to this, there were different ways of writing or performing. But this kind of has been a dream that I've had since a child to be an author. And it was a dream that I lost along the way and thought, well, that's never going to happen. So there's many reactions and many feelings that I'm having, but a big chunk of it is just being super delighted, super excited, and kind of in awe of doing something that you thought was kind of impossible. And now it's possible. And what else does that mean I could possibly do? You know, so it, it's, it's yeah. a really cool energy to be in. 
So your story is one of just, it's, it's a journey, as you've called it, but courageous. And I'm really struggling with where to start. And really, my question is, what was that journey like of, of you then writing this book? And what did it take for you then to actually say, I'm gonna, I am going to publicly put this out into the world? Uh, that had to take some strength. And what was that like for you? I'd like to know. Yeah. Great question. That that was a journey in and of itself. I feel like it was the continuation and culmination of just my lived experience up until that point in my life. So I'm 30 now. And this year was a really busy year. I put out my first solo album. I put out my first book, both works, so to speak, complement each other and kind of tell my story not just in what happened to me, what my experiences were, but also the reflection that I had worked through the previous couple of years to try to better understand and articulate just some really hard things. You know, my story is complicated. Obviously, there's a whole book's worth right. of, you know, there's that that version of telling of the story. But if you do it really nutshell, like I grew up playing music with my family, I... Um, we did a little TV, like there were a number of years there where we were, you know, you mentioned like some people do know who I am, just the context, the context would have been very different <laughs> going back to, you know, 2012, 2016-ish. And although there were a lot of wonderful things, like pretty things from the outside, they looked a certain way. There were a lot of really, really toxic things in there as well. Mm -hmm. And my dad was abusive in pretty much every way that a person can be. And I was in that environment until I was about to turn 24. It was all that I knew. Um, again, very complicated. I was uh, afraid of speaking out. I didn't know what would happen if I basically left this little mini planet that I lived on that had its own rules. It had its, you know, we were out there. It didn't look like we were cut off, but like intellectually, emotionally, very much at odds with the idea of freedom, the idea of, you know, having a life that I was dreaming of, but didn't see any way to get there. 20, you know, early 2016, right around when I turned 24 was this huge departure. I did leave my family home. I got into therapy immediately, stepped away from music, stepped away from my family from performing and just went into what I've described as like the emergency room of life. And I also left under the banner of me being the problem, me betraying the family, me leaving our faith or whatever. Um, and really the book lies on the other end of kind of coming out of that emergency room kind of um, season. And although I will continue for the rest of my life to make sense of my childhood sexual abuse, the domestic violence that I went through, the indoctrination of such a young mind, the way that my image and my voice and my creative works were used during that period of time in ways that I wouldn't have chosen. Um, I did get to the point where I said, you know what, I don't want to be in the emergency room for the rest of my life. Like I do, there will need to be ongoing care, so to speak, but right what life do I want to build now? I am married. I am trying to establish going forward a healthy community and figuring out what that looks like. Where does faith fit in? Where does family fit in? Where does, you know, passion and um, career and things like that fit in? The book initially 
started as just me setting down for my own therapy work mm. memories that I had. Is that what it was? Yeah. And yeah. one of my first therapy sessions, my therapist said, well, let's just make a timeline of, of what happened. And that was daunting. That was, you know, 24 years worth of experience that I had gone so out of my way not to think about, not to talk about. The surviving was always the top priority. And so there was so much that was just coming out all at one time. Wow. But I was really driven and, you know, I was really, I took really well to talk therapy, to reading, to writing, expressing myself, putting things down to where I really was making sense of my own story and figuring it out and at some point i went what am i doing like this is starting to really get some critical mass here <laughs> and instead of just putting down memories i was researching i was talking to other people i was looking up every picture that i had ever been in any tv clip that i had ever been in confronting the reality sometimes correcting i thought i remembered this but i found evidence of something else and you know um yeah, I think I write about this towards the end of the book that something that came up for me once I realized, wait, maybe I'm writing a book, maybe I want to be comprehensive about this, at least from my point of view, that I realized, was I ever going to share that? What would that entail? Well, it takes some courage. Um, yeah, I think because, because there was this public element with my family, there was a sense that if I ever did want to do music, which I realized I did, if I did ever want to do anything publicly again, which I realized I did, I had to reckon with the past publicly. There was no blank slate for me. Um, I talk about that in my music a little bit, like what does starting over mean? What does a brand new day mean? Well, it means you have to actually <laughs> integrate all parts of your story, which is such a daunting thing. And we all have our own version of facing that. Like, are we gonna do that? Are we gonna own all, all of the parts of our story, as scary as that is? One of the things when I when I noticed reading your book, and I'm not sure if this was intentional or just how your your writing process, but when you were relaying the 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 your your time growing up, um, experiencing the abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, you were it wasn't like you were looking at this as a 30 year old writing about yourself as a six year old, or you actually were. It felt like you're writing it as a six year old girl. Mm -hmm. And was that, was that intentional? Tell me a little bit more about that because I just really jumped out at me. I super appreciate you saying that. And that is really encouraging for me to hear because that, that was a goal of mine. Of course, as a 30 year old woman, hopefully I'm bringing constantly, hopefully more understanding and learning and grace and all sorts of those things. Sure. Cause I really asked myself like, why, why would I put this out the original purpose helps shed light on that you know the original purpose was not to just reflect on what i'd been through it was to actually articulate what it was that i'd been through so i was my experience was did take place at the age of four at the age of six at the age of nine at the age of ten and i think part of what's really key to how abuse happens is that these are things that don't happen to a 30 year old in the same way that they happen to a four-year-old oh wow yeah and part of what's happening is you're in this space where someone is really vulnerable. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how developed you are. Like when we're four, we're four. Right. 
you know, we may have a vocabulary of 10 words or 50 words, but whatever, we still are extremely vulnerable, extremely dependent. The people that we trust, we trust almost unconditionally for our own survival. Um, and that is the space in which, at least in my experience, my abuser, my dad was was operating in that space. And so, for example, saying like, instead of applying the vocabulary that I have now, I tried to use the vocabulary that I had then, which meant saying, I don't even know what this potty, body part is called. I noticed you that. Know? Right. And I, you know, which I don't even know if my four or five year old self could have said that, but you get the, hopefully you get the point. And, you know, this isn't my father, this is daddy, you know, and it isn't my mother, it's mommy. The goal, as traumatizing as it could sound, the goal was to kind of let people see what the lived experience of that was. And I thought that the best way you could serve that purpose was to try to go back and, and use the right vocabulary, use the right, like, go there myself and then let people see that. The book Unspeakable, been out a couple of months. Uh, and I've heard, I've heard you on a podcast or an interview, you talk about this is your opportunity to own your story and to claim your, your voice. Has that achieved that goal uh, to own your story and, and truly claim your voice? I really felt like part of the preparation for actually releasing this book was making sure that emotionally I was in a place where whatever followed, I was going to accept in a larger way, part of what I think my book could possibly do. And I see it doing this is going out and, and helping encourage other people and maybe educate other people. I can't speak for every, I can't tell you what happens in every instance of abuse, but I, I am speaking mine, my story, my experience. And that's extremely, grounding it's extremely it's it's very transformative because it's in a sense what i feared for my entire life and the first instance of telling was a nod that i gave my mom when i was nine right really? yeah. and then the next instance was when i was a bit older and there was such such a minimal confirmation that yes something was wrong and then you know jumping forward a few more years actually finally putting down some details and showing my mom just months before i i left and then getting out and and in a sense that the leaving of my family was the first round of seeing all my worst fears come true. So the fear that if I speak up, dad will punish me, he'll hurt me. Well, that absolutely happened. Mm. Um, people either won't believe me or it'll be my fault and I'll be the problem that happened. You know, so it wasn't, I think part of what I'm here to say and share my story is that, of course, I encourage people to speak up. Of course, I want to help and encourage people to share their story with the knowledge that it almost always will get worse before it gets better. If not, lucky you, so excited for you, great news. That means we're hopefully seeing progress and we're seeing society go in a positive direction. But let's be real, all of your fears probably have some <laughs> basis in truth. And those things may very well come to pass, whether a loved person cannot hold space for you, cannot protect you, does not believe you, um, or you get punished 
when you try to step out of line, all of those things happened first. Now I feel really, really lucky and really, really grateful that not too long after that, I was in a position to be able to talk to authorities and the key people did believe me and what we would consider justice, not maybe from a fully moral or emotional or story sense, but yeah. from a very real way, like the way our justice system works, actually being someone in the small minority that gets justice according to the system and the system works. Um, and that worked for me. And I feel really grateful for that. But again, if I do my part, I do think that there's a real purpose and a real value to sharing that because that can go out and save someone's life because mm -hmm. that was done for me. So I'm trying to pay that forward. When I heard other people's stories, it did help me get courage. When I learned from other people's mistakes that helped me take a step in the right direction. So I think that courage can be contagious and I'm just trying to be a part of that. Um, That's incredible. It's incredible, Jessica. You know, I've heard, in fact, one of my questions for you was gonna be, I've heard you mention several times in interviews that it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. And now you said it just now. And uh, I'm, I'm asking, so I want to understand that. Is that one of a, is that message one of, now that you know that, now move forward? I'm going to step back. Tell me more about that phrase. I think that almost anything, and people can disagree with me, this is kind of a philosophy or a mantra or something, but I just, the way that I see the world and the way that I've experienced the world is, hardly anything worth doing is is easy you know and if if that if you're just here to like have fun or do the easy thing like don't speak up because <laughs> like you you have to be willing to take risks like i'm actually not saying don't speak up but i think that it isn't just this issue you know a lot of things get worse before they get better you want to run a marathon mm. like you're gonna to have to go through hard things to get there. You're not accomplishing anything unless you're doing something that changes you, that requires risk, it requires vulnerability, and how much more so in these really emotional, really sometimes life and death scenarios that I think when we encourage people, and we, we think, we, we know we wanna support victims, we know we wanna support survivors, we know we wanna see someone who's going through, like, I can even look back and see my 16 year old self, my 24 year old self and say, get out. Like, I want you to get, I want you to take that step. But being realistic about what that actually means for people in the situation is that, okay, you're asking, step away from your family, step away mm -hmm. from everything you've ever known. Risk the fact that you could get killed on the way out that door. That is not an exaggeration. Um, learning about domestic violence and understanding how these things escalate, understanding that some of the specifics of my story was that there were tons of guns around. Uh, we were homeschooled. There was mention of confrontations like Ruby Ridge. And I think there's a version of my story that probably could have culminated in something like that. So the risks are very, real they splinter out in so many different ways there's so many unknowns i when i say it gets worse before it gets better but it's worth it do it anyway ah, that's being a really point. real yeah being really real about what it is you're inviting people to do and if you tell people speak up it gets better speak up it's easy speak up you'll be happy i think you're doing them a real disservice because that is not what statistics tell us 
happens frequently, <laughs> you know? So I think that's where, that's how I see that. And that's where that's coming from. So, you know, I do say that phrase a lot. And when I can, I do follow it up with, and it's still worth the risk. Like I would do it again. Um, Cause you do get to a point where you're in that corner and you go, if there's a chance, not for sure, it will happen, but if there's a chance that there's something better, I've got to take that chance. Um, and in general, I think the issue of like, for example, childhood sexual abuse, there's a lot of things that we know that we just haven't comprehensively done everywhere yet. It meant for me, when I got out, there was a lot of things waiting for me, but part of the reaction was, how was this here? And I didn't know. You really? Know? Is that really? So it was there, you just didn't know about it. Why, why, why do you, why do you think that is? Well, part of my experience was there was a concerted effort to keep me from things that would have helped I me. I see. I see. The person who was in charge of my education, my day-to-day -day life was my abuser. And so, so many wow. of those decisions were connected. It's interesting. You know, I did TV, I did some press, I did, I'm not a complete stranger to recording studios or sets or things like that. Um, it hasn't always been my favorite, <laughs> but I yeah. realized part of what I didn't like was kind of the pressure of having a fake face, basically, you know, when you can't really authentically well. be yourself, like, of course, it's going to be stressful. So I'm trying to reclaim some of those things. I love that people want to, well, what's the advice? Like, what would you say to someone? And a lot of times the first thing that I'll say is, it's very hard to give consistently good advice. Overall, speak up, get help, reach out to a professional. But there's the caveat of it gets worse before it mm. gets better. Like, I don't think you can just kind of do what I did because it could have gone so many different ways, yeah. you know, and your abuser might be a family member. It may be a coach. It may be, you know, we, we know that this is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, so I think that I love that people want the help and want the advice. It's just a really hard one. You, you can't really make it just a sound bite. It's a complex no. issue. No. And I think that's, I think that's good coaching for me. Because in a podcast interview, typically, if 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 I'm talking to someone who wants to advance their career or <laughs> or something, I'll say, okay, what's your advice for advancing your career? And I'll mm -hmm. get a soundbite. Um, right. That's really good coaching for me in something like this. That there is no soundbite here. That's mm -hmm. it's 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 not. You know, earlier you talked about having this, uh, you know, owning your story, owning your voice, but also when you're in front of the camera, there have been times when have had to put on this this facade. It wasn't oh, yeah. it wasn't reality. In fact, the TLC show, The Willis Family where you were, you know, you were the reality show, um, first season, second season, but it was not reality. On, yeah, you were dealing with life and death situations there. What was that like? It's really wild. And a lot of it, I only see in retrospect, how crazy, like some of the perspective only comes now. <laughs> I know the lived experience of it had so many different emotions, so many different confusing questions but yes you're very much in survival mode and then i talk about in the book the point at which you know i'm doing therapy and initially i went to the easiest stuff i'm four years old i'm six years old I'm nine years old it's clearly not my fault this isn't you know the sexual abuse like it's the most black and white stuff so it started there you'd think maybe that's the hardest but in some ways it was the most straightforward at least and then fast forwarding to my teenage years, my early 20s, it was so much harder for me to face my growing like complicity and 
indoctrination and like all these things that there were so many more layers. I have journals from those years, not necessarily mm. constant, but it's so chilling to kind of read the way that 17 year old Jessica was processing these things and narrating them to herself. Like that's me, but there was this sense of that's not me that, you know, and to come to terms with like, yes, that was my lived experience. The girl that I'm looking at is me. And then once cameras got involved, there was actual video to watch and to say, okay, I'm looking at my notes. I know for a fact that the day before we taped this, two days before I taped this, I was hit in the face. And then I look at that face and it's smiling and it's talking about how great everything is. And I just, you know, we think of, wow, is that just like a really good acting? And that's Mm -hmm. where I go, that's survival. (laughs) That was survival that was needed. And I got in trouble when my face didn't look happy enough. Like part of why I would get beat is because my face looked bad. And there's times where in the show, I even edited around because you don't have to be a rocket scientist to go something's wrong here and of course your brain is doing everything it can to say well surely it's not that bad like whatever whatever i may have seen like hopefully there's another explanation for it so i'm not saying people saw criminal things that they ignored i'm just saying like this person's unhappy that was evident and so you can see sometimes little little flashes of that come through towards the end of the tv show because I was breaking down. Like I did it for 20 years. (laughs) Yes. I did it on camera for three or four years. And I was getting to the point where I was actually incapable of doing that anymore. And that was part of, of getting out for me. And I think that's what that dangerous dynamic is. Sometimes we talk about hitting rock bottom being what really changes things. And that's the point at which you start making better choices or something. But we know so many people hit that and they stay there or they don't ever make it out alive. And that really felt like that risk. Like, was it gonna, was I gonna hit the lowest? Was I going to break before I experienced what I need to, to really make a change? Hmm. Um, And there was, that was a really dark, really dark time. But you obviously, music's been a huge part of your life and continues to be, but I'm wondering, how did all of this, how did this all this impact your own individual, what I would call more of a solo career? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about your life after the Willis family, mm-hmm. how did music, did music ever almost, uh, did you almost give up on music is, is, is my question. And how did you come out of it? Yeah. So I remember I was at a, um, I talk about in the book, going to a place called Onsite. It's an experiential therapy retreat. Onsite's so awesome. Um, One of the things that like a small thing that didn't make it into the book was I asked my small group leader at one point, we were talking about medicators and using that word to mean anything that we self-administrate to our, you know, give ourselves, dose ourselves with to help manage, avoid anything to not do our work. (laughs) So you can medicate yourself with almost anything like it can actually be drugs or pills or things like that that you're abusing and going beyond what is healthy it can literally be sex religion um music it can be you know anything video games like the idea is 
to change your view and not look at the thing itself, but how you are using the thing. So I thought that was a very interesting concept for me. And I was evaluating, okay, so for example, technology can be very unhealthy for me because it's a checkout and I yeah. don't, and I, I end up going down a rabbit hole and there's addictive qualities there. Sure. And that's just for me, right? If I get lost in a good book, like to me, that is not, it does not have the same effect. And I remember thinking of music and going, this is so powerful for me. Is this addictive? Is this unhealthy? I was just trying to really be open and think about it. And this is a little bit of a shortcut, but I remember talking to her and she said, here's a little rule of thumb. When you do anything, are you doing it to learn, to express, to connect, to, you know, those sorts of things, or are you doing it to avoid, to shut down, mm. to evade, you know? Yeah. And it was lightning clear, immediately clear for me. Oh, music has always been a way to connect, a way to make sense of things. And I started writing the song that became my history, which is like track seven, eight, or <laughs> somewhere, somewhere on the record. Yeah. And it was just so personal. And to some degree, I could talk about writing music all day long or just writing in general. It's so fun. And everybody does yeah. it in a different way. And I feel like every song, in a sense, has its own little way of coming into the world. But because I was making art underneath the control of my abuser, and then that was being taken sometimes against my will and used to eventually kind of fund and run this machine that was hurting us all. And I didn't feel that way initially. Wow. Like, well, this is the only way I get to do the thing I want to do. Um, so it was like a trade-off, you know, initially right. in my mind. But to realize, oh, rarely did I actually, I wasn't able to really speak my truth. And so making music now is so different because right. the whole album of Brand New Day, literally every word, none of it is like historical fiction. It's like straight from the vein true. <laughs> you know, every single word is something that I lived or felt. And so now it's so much more vulnerable. <laughs> if someone doesn't like it, it's like, oh my gosh, that's my baby. <laughs> mm. And when it connects with people, it's so much more rewarding. And to understand that I'm not doing this, whether it be music, whether it be the book, I really can't be doing it for other people at this point. It has to be, and it always was for me in the interest of, of growing, of understanding and connecting. Yeah. And so now I just get to do that without any of the other stuff mixed in. <laughs> and it's, it's so totally different. So the release, everyone, uh, is called Brand New Day. That's that's your new album. It is unbelievable. I've I'm um, I've been it's just been on a loop here in my house and in my office, and um, my history is such a powerful. I mean, it's such a powerful song and powerful lyrics. For those that have not heard it yet, there's a there's a lyrics here that I am my survivor, and you will be my history. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, Jessica. I mean, that, that's the cadence, right? That goes uh, right. several times to the song. At the very end, the last words are, I'm my survivor and you are just my history. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering on that, this is your story, but the, 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 the difference on that just jumped out at me. Am I making too much of that? It's one word yeah. change, but yeah. what's behind that? Well, you know, the change is from like a future tense, like right. you will be you will be, you will be, you will, you will be my history. This idea that you could see that I was speaking into what I was 
trying to get the courage to do, or there was some part of me that saw what was coming or saw what I really wanted to do, but all of me wasn't ready to do that yet. So I look back, oh, now I understand what I was saying then, or now I'm living out the dream that I was speaking then. And that's that song's version of you will be, you will be. And then the song kind of marking that, the song was marking a moment where I was feeling that click over. It's not just you will be, you are just my history. And you know, the you is in a sense a very allegorical kind of general, like we all have things that we thought maybe we were afraid of it and we were maybe going to be defined for defined by for the rest of our lives or we have trauma or we have histories you know whatever that is and obviously for me the you also can be very specifically my dad because he was the one who was not only in charge of this whole environment but he was he was my abuser and you know the song doesn't say i am my survivor you are my abuser but it's saying like you and all the things that you did and all the things that have felt so much bigger than me, the things that felt like it took away my voice and it took away my story. Yeah. I am reclaiming those and I'm actually going to define, I decide who you are in my life now. And again, putting the asterisk and disclaimer that I'm really, really privileged to be in that position. I think you can do the internal work, but on top of that, I have a real strong lived reality of, he cannot get to me anymore. And a lot of people go through some really hard things and that person is still out there and they don't know when that person may try to show up or be in their life again. And I know I have a significant amount of time where I don't have to worry about that. For the rest of my life, anyone can come up and ask me about my dad or, ask, sure. you know, or have an incorrect version of the story, but deciding for me, this is what it's going to mean to me. And I do have some sense of ownership. And even if it's this little tiny yes. stake in the ground, I couldn't ever imagine being bigger than this and to feel that trauma and that shame and that narrative that felt so out of control click over um and to say yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna build a new story and a new yeah. life from here um that was a really powerful moment and that's what that song marks well again the song is my history everyone so make sure you you you, you listen to that song because jessica that description of that of that switch because you stuck the landing um, Aww, that last, thank you. That, yeah, it's just fantastic. So hey, J Jessica, what is the best way to follow you? Where should we go? Um, you know, I have a website where you've mentioned so kindly, like I do blog posts from time to time. You can find out, um, find out about my music there. You can get my book there. I have a little shop. Um, that's also where I try to update everywhere I'm appearing or touring or anything like that. Um, I have like an Opry date coming up that I'm excited about, and there's always something new. There's a email list there, which is a great way to keep up. I, I don't use it that frequently, <laughs> but when there's big things, I round them all up and I let people know um, through email. So that's another option. And just my socials are Jessica Willis Fisher almost across the board, or maybe Jessica W. Fisher, I think on Twitter. Um, also try to be good about that. I'm still in charge of my own <laughs> social. So it's like really authentic when it comes out, but it, you know, it isn't a, a super professional thing all the time, yeah. given that 
you know, I have my own relationship with <laughs> being on my phone too much, but I don't know with this, um, my husband, and I just got a puppy, so it's just going to be dog account from now on. Cause he's super it. cute, super fluffy. <laughs> you, uh, you have a brand new album, brand new day, but also two new incredible Christmas songs that are out. I mean, all the Christmas music you could choose. <laughs> You chose Tennessee Christmas, which was yeah. originally done probably what thirty years ago by Amy Grant. One of my, one of my favorite one of my favorite Christmas songs, another <laughs> classic by Celine Dion. Yes. Um, and why those two songs? All the ones you could choose. I think that. Um, so I actually know Amy. Um, I've met her a, n- a number of times, and she actually was so kind enough to read my book ahead of time. And she if did. you have the physical copy and you open to the like endorsements, she's on, I think that first page. That's cool. And we had a conversation after she, you know, it's not like, oh my gosh, we're so close, but I, what a, what a beautiful person, what a wonderful career she's had. Yes. And, you know, for me, even being, there were so many messages about being a woman or being a Christian growing up that are just really harmful and that I'm still reckoning with. And I look at people like Amy Grant and I just see someone whose faith has made them such a beautiful, warm presence and force for good in the world. And that's very inspiring to me. And um, just having, representing that this is my home state and my husband and I love and travel around Tennessee a lot. We're huge, just Tennessee fans. And um, it was probably between Tennessee Christmas and like one of Dolly's Smoky Mountain. Like she has a number of Christmas songs. So I knew I was going to do something like that. And then don't save it all for Christmas day. I had periods where when I was younger, a lot of pop music was not allowed to be in our house, but Celine Dion was pretty much always there. My voice is just nothing like her. Like when I heard Alison Krauss, I was like, oh, that's a lot closer to naturally that folk softer voice Celine Dion just has these pipes that are amazing and so fell in love with her Christmas record and that song in particular I think that again a lot of Christmas music can be um really religious or really kind of about presence and the kind of social um even rat race of it all and I think that heart of again charity and a little bit what I was saying my song slow me down of like being present and concentrating on what really matters, not just on Christmas, but all the time, which is essentially what Don't Save It All for Christmas Day is saying. And uh, we put it out pretty early in the season around Thanksgiving. And again, I was like, look, it's literally saying, don't save it all for Christmas Day. (laughs) And um, growing up, we didn't do any Christmas music or anything until after Thanksgiving. And I have slowly morphed into someone that's like, give me all the Christmas I can get. (laughs) So don't save it all just for a day or a couple weeks. Like, let's make it as long as we can. So good. I I love that. I love it. In fact, on your Instagram, you had a reel or uh, you went Instagram live. You gave us a tour of your Christmas tree and the ornaments. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, you you do do your own Instagram. I love it. Yeah, I, I try. I try. Um, I think you can't overthink it at this point because <laughs> we all have to different degrees that voice in our head. Oh, you look stupid. Or um, what does my face look like today? And you just like, yeah. just do you, it if wait you want to do it or don't you, do it. Like you do that too. Not- you, you think those thoughts too. <laughs> you're not going to make everybody happy. So just stick with what is authentic for you. <laughs> I Good guess. Advice. <laughs> Good advice. Uh, you brought up Alison Krauss. I'm a huge Alison Krauss fan. One the best live performance I've ever seen was in Evansville, Indiana. It was with Alison Krauss. She was on tour and I took my two kids. My daughter is your age, my oldest daughter. Yeah. 
And we were, we, we were at the very top, couldn't afford front row tickets, <laughs> but just watched, listened to, her, to how she sang in her band. And, and when I heard you, you remind me of Alison Krauss. It's That's just- That's the biggest compliment. Thank Holy you. Smokes. She, I mean, she plays fiddle. Her voice is just angelic. And I think, you know, she's been someone who, you know, social media, television, like the way things look from the outside is not always they are on the inside. And I know we're all humans, but she's someone that I really struggle with not turning into just a complete hero because I love her so much. And I think she's had such a wonderful, you know, she's had so much success and the crossover appeal and just, you know, sticking to her artistry so yes. well, and she can kind of do no wrong for me. She was on a couple of Def Leppard's uh, new um, songs on their latest album. So if she's got more more street cred for me right there too. So. She's she's a lot of her collaborations, her stuff with Robert Plant is so oh, cool. That's right. So, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, I'm up here in Idaho, and I used to live in Southern Indiana. I used to go to Nashville oh. on the weekends, and you know, one of my regrets is I've never been in the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, you've been there, what, 50, almost 60 times. Yeah. And what is there about the Grand Ole Opry? I don't want to give away your book, right? But there's a, the Grand Ole Opry <laughs> is a really special place for you. But what is there about this place? What should I know? Never been. So I speak about it as someone who was exposed to it without really knowing the depth of its history and its stature and its legendary status in country music and even outside of country music, you know, spilling over into many genres. But um, I was there with my family initially and it was just another opportunity that we had and we played and it was meeting the then general manager, Pete um, Fisher, who slowly, very kindly, wasn't saying like, you don't know this, you should know this. It was here, let me introduce you to this bonafide star and this super famous person and this legend and you know that inspired me because I have a huge learner's heart to go like what is this you know now it's a place that feels kind of like home in a way that I think home and family can be and should be a place where we show up as ourselves we feel welcome there is such a community there and people that have no reason to be kind other than out of the goodness of their heart and out of that responsibility to pay forward what they have been given by such a wonderful institution. So it's still one of the places though that will make me nervous because it has a production level. Like once you know how important it is, yes. there are some artists that that's their one goal. Their one goal is if I could just play the Grand Ole Opry. And so making sure that I'm always leaving room for the gratitude of never taking it for granted. And they just want you to show up and, and make your art and be a part of the family. And, you know, what you put in, you do get back in spades. Um, So I can't say enough good things about the Opry and all the folks there. So now uh, this is the I Dare You podcast. And uh, the question I was asked my guests is has to do with the I Dare You challenge for everyone listening. So uh, to you, I mean, all of us go through a journey, uh, successes and setbacks, and so what, how about for you, Jessica, what advice or challenge would we have for someone who's out there that may be thinking about either chasing a big goal, mm-hmm. or making a big decision in their life? What advice mm-hmm. would you have for them? What, what advice would you have for us? What's your challenge? So a couple of things come to mind. Um, and just based on our conversation, I think, cause I, you know, I listened to your podcast and I kind of knew this was coming. So I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta think of something <laughs> good. But something that really helped me this past year or two 
is when you do feel that calling of, wow, there's things, there's change I would like to see in the world. There's art that's like really, really passionately on my heart and I wanna bring it out into the world, right? I was in the place of kind of trying to figure out how to do all of that. I got some really good advice that in trying to make the decision of what should I spend my life doing? What should I try to tackle and put my blood, sweat and tears into? Um, one of the questions, evaluating questions was, what's something that only I can do? And I didn't take that to mean, oh, that I'm the best in the world at, like I'm an Olympic skier and I'm the best skier. Uh, it wasn't about rank or anything like that. It was more evaluating your life's story, the opportunities in front of you and the callings on your heart and saying, you know, maybe there's a hundred things that I could do, but what's the thing that if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Like, what is it that I have to bring that is truly unique? Again, not because I'm the best or because of this, but that that beautiful intersection of these are the cards that I'm holding. I may not have picked them, but it's my responsibility to figure out how to play them. And that was helpful for me in just crystallizing the steps and the vision to try to bring my music out into the world, bring my book out into the world. These things needed to be this year this chapter was really the doorway i had to walk through and there's a certain amount of not knowing what's on the other side but i know what i just did was really really right for me if that like strikes a chord for you i think you should follow that out of all the things you could do but the thing that only you have either the opportunity with the viewpoint to to add to this to this whole big world. It's a really elegant way of putting it in a different slant on thing, a different lens on we have gifts, we have talents that God gave us. Mm -hmm. And you used the word responsibility. We do have a responsibility to put those into action. And mm -hmm. I think that's a really great way of putting that. So thank you for that challenge, something we can put into practice. <laughs> don't know exactly what's next for me because I've gone through like doing that process and feeling really rewarded by that, you know, going through that challenge that's harder, but then you get on the other side and you go, wow, I feel like I've grown. I feel like I've really done something. And now the stakes feel like, you know, in, in a sense, the sky's the limit. I think it's great though, because it's very, also very empowering because it, yeah. instead of uh, doing the social comparison that we all do, when you force yourself to ask the question, what is there that only I can do? Whoa. And mm -hmm. we all we all have that answer. So ask that question, write it down, put that into your goal planning. I think Jessica is giving us a fantastic insight there. Yeah. <laughs> I, dare, I dare us all. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the way you think. And Jessica, thank you so much for yeah, being on this podcast. You, um, your, your stories. <laughs> yeah, no, your story is so inspiring. Courage you're showing, not only for writing the book, but also the way you're moving forward uh, and healing and growing. It's just truly inspiring. So I want to thank you for being so thank authentic you. and vulnerable and for sharing with all of us for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said about the music, when you show up authentically, when it bombs or something like, of course that hurts, but it also sets you up for such great rewards if it, if it goes well. And, you know, even conversations like this, it's like helps reinvigorate my just positive belief in people. And I, I just love sharing that. And thank you for sharing your, your platform and uh, holding some space for me and my story. My pleasure. Thanks for being here. Of course. 
All right, that was Jessica Willis-Fisher. What an interview. I do not think I'll ever forget meeting her and hearing about her story. Unbelievable. Now, her challenge for all of us, her I Dare You challenge, might be one of the better ones I've heard, for sure, (laughs) on how to think about yourself and what's the one thing that only you can do in this world. Not only is it empowering, but also it's actionable. So I would challenge you again to (laughs) take... Take up Jessica's uh, point here and what is the one thing and build that into your goal planning process. Now, um, I want to close this out also. Go to make sure you follow Jessica on her Instagram. Uh, Again, so authentic. Love her. And then make sure you also go to her website, jessicawillisfisher.com. One thing we didn't talk about in the interview very much, her blog posts on her website, they are powerful and they may benefit you or someone that you love. In the epilogue of her memoir, she writes, I will never fully understand how I survived what I did, but it seems to me that books and reading have contributed their fair share toward both my survival and recovery so far. So Jessica gives her book recommendations in, a, in her first blog post, part one, about trauma, some of her favorite books that helped her. And then her most recent blog post are her three favorite books related to toxic environments, including Coping with Narcissists. And I share that with you because, as Jessica said, uh, abuse and domestic violence, it is prevalent more than we know. And make sure you go to her website and to check out her blog posts. It'll, it'll just blow your mind. Now, everyone, make sure you're subscribing and you're following this podcast and you're sharing this episode with uh, more than a few others. Let's get this message out. And also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, follow me on Instagram. You can do it a couple different ways. At I Dare You Pod. And also at Darren Johnson One. There we share a lot of exclusive content you won't see anywhere else. I would love to see you there. Also, uh, right now, take a screenshot on your on your phone and tag Jessica, tag myself about what your biggest takeaway was from this episode or anything else that hit you about this episode. And finally, if you love great music, Jessica Willis Fisher. Find her on Spotify, on Apple. Uh, her holiday music, uh, Tennessee Christmas fantastic version, but also her whole album, Brand New Day, in particular, the song that we talked a lot about, My History. Um, You got to listen to it. So thanks for listening all. Um, And now get ready for episode 46. We are beginning to edit that. Another incredible guest. I can't wait for you to hear it. I'll see you right back here on the iDairy podcast next week. I'll see you then.